0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hungry for Success podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Phelps. On this episode, I got to sit down and talk to Tamar, who is the co-founder of the Women Who Lift Israel Facebook group, which has thousands of women who have come together to support each other and improve themselves by getting stronger. You might remember I talked to the other co-founder, Sarah, a couple weeks ago. But during this episode, we talked a lot about how intimidating the gym can be for women and some of the ways that men and women can work together to overcome this. We also talked about how strength training can build your confidence and much, much more. Enjoy these episodes and would like to contribute to the show. Uh, Just tell your family or friends or give the episode a share on social media. Anything you do goes a long way. Here's the show. I hope you enjoy it. Tamar, how are you?
1: I am excellent. How are you doing, Michael?
0: I'm doing great. I'm very happy to uh, have you on the show.
1: I'm super excited. I'm very, very excited to be here.
0: So how's your uh, Sunday going so far?
1: My Sunday is going really well. Um, I am living in Tel Aviv, Israel, and it's uh, almost 10 p.m. here. It's 9.30. Um, So for us... Sunday is the first day of the week. So like for Americans, what Monday is, Sunday is for us. Um, I've had a great Sunday and very excited for the rest of the week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very interesting. I had no idea. I mean, obviously, I understand there's like a big um, time difference, you know, time zone. Um, But I didn't know that the weeks kind of worked like that.
1: Yeah. So for um, Israel... Uh, Friday is considered the day of rest um, because our Sabbath begins in the evening of Friday. Um, And so our work week is actually Sunday through Thursday instead of Monday through Friday. And then our weekend, like what Saturday, Sunday is in America, that is um, Friday, Saturday for us.
0: Gotcha. So do you have kind of a routine for... You know your days off like where you get ready for the next week like so for example that's exactly what i've been doing all day is meal prepping planning out what i'm gonna do exercise wise and all that kind of stuff for this week
1: yeah so i tend to have the same routine i would say more or less every weekend in that um thursday evening i always make sure um, unless there's something else going on that i have something with friends Um, even just one or two friends because I think that the week can get really, really bogged down with just so much to get done and not just work, but also like personal development and things like that, Um, that I think it's really, really important to make sure to always schedule something in um, socially. I know that can be especially difficult nowadays, but I think uh, if there's a will, there's a way. Um, And then Friday morning, always do my shopping for all my meal prep, Um, What I love about Fridays here in Israel is that because it's the Sabbath day, which is considered the day of rest, um, the whole country almost, uh, I wouldn't call it shut down, but it's very quiet. Stores are closed. uh, People stay home, stay home with their families. And I particularly like that because I am like a very high anxiety person. I'm always like trying to add one more thing that I can handle onto my to-do list and so having that like almost like a forced rest day has in my personal life been really amazing because I have no choice but to rest and I think recovery is very underestimated Mm -hmm. and then on Saturdays um, I spend the first half of the day to be honest, being a potato, (laughs) I relax, I like let myself sleep, you know, take a really long shower. And then the second half of my Saturdays are always dedicated to meal prep for the whole week. Um, I find that that is a key, key, key essential thing to staying on track throughout the week. And I find that whenever I miss that one piece, just the meal prep, um i often find that the rest of my week kind of like dominoes you know with it mm-hmm. so uh my weekend routine has been really really essential i would say in my like overall routine
0: yeah and so i found that with a lot of people like so i've had people on here that talk a lot about discipline and people that talk about habits and a lot of the stuff or in mindset too and a lot of the things you know they really um, mesh together. And like the overall thing is basically, um, you know, planning and preparations are like the keys to um, discipline or success or whatever you want to say. Um, Because if you chart that out in the beginning, and then you have those good options, you're way, way more likely or uh, likely to stick to your plan and be successful, um, where a lot of people might fall off.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I, uh, I'm i sure we'll get to this, uh, but my friend Sarah and I, who was previously mm-hmm. on this podcast, we have co-founded a group called Women Who Lift Israel. Uh, we're almost at a thousand members and we're dedicated to empowering women through different mm-hmm. forms of strength training. And I have, through this group, had the absolute privilege and honor to interview Uh, a couple dozen different professional athletes, female athletes, specialists, physicians, and what I liked the most, um, I had interviewed a uh, holistic wellness coach, and the analogy that they gave to me in terms of not just meal prep, and meal prep is one example of this, but we're talking about planning and preparation in general, and what purpose that serves in a strength training routine and in a, a fitness journey. She explained it to me, and I'm sure Americans will love this analogy. Um, It's like a football game. You're part of a team. You don't want to, I mean, you can do this on your own, but you're part of a team and you all work together to, to unify yourselves. And you don't go out on the field and just do whatever you want. You go out there with a plan. You've practiced, you've talked about what you wanna do, you've researched, you've thought about all the possibilities and you choose the best one. And that's how you get a touchdown. But if you go out there without any planning, without any preparation whatsoever, without any true idea of your next few steps forward, uh, it will literally make you fumble, no pun intended.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, things go off the rails, things fall apart when there's no planning and preparation. It, that That's when it becomes easier to make a bad choice than to make a good one.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. When there's lack of preparation and lack of planning, um, it's not necessarily that you're not able to make good decisions. I would say it's definitely still uh, definitely able to make good decisions regardless. Mm -hmm. You're simply putting yourself in a position where you're at significantly higher risk to not make a good decision. Um, It's much easier to reach for something easy to go get takeout, to miss a day working out and uh yeah, you don't realize these small actions and how they all build um, until you're suddenly stuck thinking how do i get back on track
0: yeah absolutely i i couldn't agree with you more we we've kind of jumped right in here but i want to rewind a little bit and uh talk about you and your story and you know your own weight loss journey can you tell us a little bit about that
1: sure so my weight loss journey has been very unique. I would say, um, although I was a chubby kid as a, as a young child, um, I had started dance from a very young age. I started doing dance at the age of three. And when I started hitting puberty, I gained a tremendous amount of weight in a very short amount of time. Um, combined with the fact that my family had just relocated from Israel to America, And the move was incredibly stressful. It's it's incredible what stress does to the body and to your hormones. Um, And it really affected me as an eight-year-old kid. I was in dance. Dance was an enormous part of my life. It was basically a full-time job. Even as a kid, we would train 20, 30 hours a week. I'm talking about a nine-year-old child. That's pretty intense. And... This was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where skinny was it. Skinny was the thing. It was the age of Paris Hilton, of Nicole Richie, of of all those things. And the thinner you were, uh, it seemed as though to society, the more beautiful you were and the more value you had. And in dance, it was very much the same way. And I found myself very quickly in a situation where I was suffering from anorexia and didn't even know what anorexia was. Um, I remember very vividly um, coming back to uh, dance practice at the beginning of the school year. Uh, the season for dance team is uh, when the school year begins until about May. And I remember I, coming back from an entire summer And uh, this is probably at the height of my eating disorder. I had come back after a two and a half month long summer break and I had lost 20 pounds. And I did not have 20 pounds to lose. I was a dancer, I was already quite thin. And I will never forget coming back to that very first day of dance practice. And the first thing my coach did, my dance coach, she came up to me and she said, wow, Tamara, you've lost a lot of weight this summer. You've lost a tremendous amount of weight. I can tell I'm so proud of you. She went on and on and gushed about how proud she was of me and how how much higher my jumps will be and, and how much easier it'll be to do all these different tricks and new routines um, with very little disregard to what that actually meant in terms of my health. And now, you know, years later, the research is showing what we already knew, but now have confirmed skinny is not healthy. It doesn't mean you're not healthy, but skinny is not a confirmation that you are healthy. Yeah. Fast forward a few years. um, I had thankfully with a lot of professional help, and a lot of support from my friends and family uh, was able to overcome my eating disorder and found kind of a new normal. It's always a daily struggle. Um, And in 2017, um, I was still living in the US. And I suddenly found out that my mother who was my best friend in all of life um, was diagnosed with a very, very rare form of pancreatic cancer. Um, She was given a Prognosis of about three months to live. She ended up living just under 10 months post diagnosis. And I was her caregiver during the time that she was ill. I quit my job. I sold my stuff. I sold my car. I found someone to take over my place. I moved from Texas back to Ohio. I was living in Texas at the time. And I immediately just put my entire life on hold to take care of my mother. And as someone who grew up with a very uh, distorted relationship with food to begin with, my solution was food. I went in the exact opposite direction where when I was younger, controlling how much I ate and controlling my weight was was how I found control in my life. And now when I had such an overwhelming amount of emotions and I was not raised in a way where I really knew how to deal with them, <clears throat> I turned to food. It was very easy. It was very comforting. It was always there to me. It never told me that I was doing something wrong. And so I found a lot of comfort in it and I gained a lot of weight. I'm a very short person. (laughs) You can't really tell when you just see, you know, my upper body. Um, I'm only five feet tall. And, um, at my highest, I was about 200 pounds and I'll never forget. Um, my mother died on the 18th of May, um, in 2018. And my grandmother, her mother actually, uh, passed away from the same disease two weeks before my mother did. So in April to May of 2018, first my grandmother, my maternal grandmother passed away and then two weeks later, my mother passed away. I would say that was the absolute rock bottom of my entire life so far, without a doubt. It's hard to explain grief to people who haven't necessarily experienced it yet. It's even harder to explain what it's like when your two biggest female role models in your life just suddenly in a two week period just disappear. Um, it's really hard to wrap your mind around it. And I was at rock bottom because there I had a void in me. I had a really, really deep void. I looked up to my mother and to my grandmother they were my biggest role models Um, and to have them gone was just to have like the floor fall under me all of a sudden and i continued eating i continued comforting myself with food for about a month after my mother passed away Um, i literally had a moment one day though where i woke up and i looked at myself in the mirror And I was about to just go on with my day as normal. And all of a sudden, I just thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, not just what am I doing? Like, I feel like I'm off track and all these things. But like, what am I actually doing? Let's analyze how I'm responding to this situation. I have a huge void of the two most supportive people in my life. It's understandable that I feel sad. And it's okay for me to acknowledge the fact that I feel sad. But I have to find a way to channel that sadness and to channel that depression. And in a way, I was. I was just channeling it to the wrong thing. I was channeling it to eating. But it was once I had that realization to really start looking at my actions and not just analyzing them, but taking responsibility for them. You know, I I was sad and I decided to eat my feelings. I, I need to understand what that means, you know. And so it started there. I eventually made Aliyah, which Aliyah in Hebrew literally means to rise up. And this is why I love the phrase Aliyah. So it's a Hebrew word. And whenever someone moves from any country outside of Israel to Israel, it's, it's said that they made Aliyah, they made a rising up. And a few months after my mother passed away and I was a few months into my, my fitness journey, I made Aliyah, I decided to rise up so you can say, and this was the major turning point in my fitness journey. Because this was the first time where I had a completely different start in life, new environment, new people, new perspective, new everything. I wanted to take advantage of of the cleanness of my slate, you know? And for the first time in my entire life, I wanted to get a trainer. I wanted to get a personal trainer. And I remember, you know, I signed up for a gym. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was too scared to ask for help. I'm pretty sure the only thing I really knew how to do was to get on an elliptical. <laughs> and it on. Um, but other than that, I didn't really know much. And, you know, the gym asked me, well, we've got lots of kinds of personal trainers. You know, what, what are your goals? What are you looking for? And I said, that's a very good question. I haven't even thought about that. And after thinking about it, I decided I want to learn how to work out the right way. That's what I want. You know, I was thinking I'm going to go in there and tell them I want to lose 15 pounds or I want to, you know, whatever, some kind of more specific thing about I want to fit into my jeans that I haven't fit into for two years, you know, some kind of very specific goal that I can material materialize so that I can know, okay, I have accomplished this goal at some point in time. But instead, I kept analyzing, I kept thinking, there has to be something, even a level beyond that. You know, losing weight is great, fitting into your good genes is like the best feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. However, at the end of the day, we do this for ourselves. And so after really, really, Analyzing and thinking what are my true goals before I just go and find any personal trainer. I said, I want to work out the right way because I'm working out for me. I'm not working out for anybody else. So if I'm going to go and not only pay someone to teach me how to work out, but also bust my butt and spend hours at the gym, I want to do it correctly. I'm done, you know, being on the elliptical for an hour a day, six days a week. I want to move past that. I want to rise up. And so I have an amazing trainer. And I've been with her from day one for over two years now. She's taught me almost everything that I know. And uh, since then, since introducing weightlifting into my life and CrossFit, um, I'm somewhere in between a, a weightlifter and a powerlifter. Um, ever since I was introduced to my life, there was a, a very, very big, noticeable change, noticeable to me, noticeable to my family, noticeable to my friends and everyone around me. And yes, they were saying things like, oh, wow, you've lost weight or whatever, you know, comments like that. But I also had people saying, Tamar, you're glowing. You're, you're glowing. You look happy. You look confident. You look less stressed, which is amazing. I'm a very stressy person. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I went into into this whole fitness journey, having a really distorted view on weight and on food and all of those things. And through many, many years and learning through a lot of different mistakes, I've come out the other side, really, truly having Felt as though I have risen up thanks to weightlifting. I genuinely feel that weightlifting and CrossFit and powerlifting has been a very instrumental part, not only of my fitness journey, but also of my personal development of me and my character as a person.
0: So first of all, like your journey is... I mean, it's very powerful, right? Like most people have one significant thing, like they're overweight as a child or they have an eating disorder or something that leads them down the path that they come to. But I mean, you experience, you know, like emotional issue, like issues, you know, uh, childhood weight gain, eating disorder, loss of loved ones, moves all across the country, all halfway across the world. I mean, so that's a lot of compounded things to... Um, you know, build up and cause you to gain weight and cause you not to focus on yourself when you have so much external things going on. And, you know, one of my recent guests was uh, Nick Shaw, who wrote a book called Fit for Success. And one of the things that he talks about in the book that I just like really thought about while you were talking about your story is this concept of internal locus of control, meaning like you external things are going to continue to happen to you all the time but it's how you internalize those and process them and uh you know build yourself off of those how you focus on yourself and how you can be better and when you were talking about you know there was that one time that you're looking in the mirror and you're like what am i doing like I, I, you know i have these issues it's okay to feel uh sad and upset but i have to capitalize and and improve myself and that's what i could think about there was thinking about why you were telling the story
1: Yeah, exactly. That is something I especially love because uh, someone very dear to me uh, once told me, you can't help what your emotions are. Emotions are your emotions. They're one of the most natural things. You can, however, influence what happens after that. So you have these emotions, you can feel them, you're aware of them in your body. I feel sadness, I feel grief, I feel anger. Be aware of them. What you choose to do with that emotion is up to you. That's where awareness comes in.
0: Yeah, and to me, a lot of that is all how you frame it in your own mind. So, you know, it, you know, I've experienced this loss but how do I honor that person moving forward is like one way to think about it. Or you can just think, you know, I've lost that person. I'm sad. I'm upset. And then just get stuck in that. Um, So, you know, I think it all depends on how you frame it in your mind.
1: Absolutely. And I think that was also a key turning point is that every day that went by after my mother passed, all I would think about is how much I hurt from not having her there. All that ran through my mind was how big that void in me felt. And it was only until I suddenly realized I need to acknowledge that I have this void in me. I have to bring awareness to it and I have to reframe the way I view this void that's in me. I can't change the fact that the void is there. My mother died. My grandmother died. If the void wasn't there, that'd be very strange. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do with that and how I frame my perspective around that is truly up to me.
0: Yeah. And then, so another thing that i picked up from that is, you know, you said those are two of like the most influential, um, like strongest women in your life that you had to look up for or look up to. And, you know, It seems to me, I I don't know them, obviously, but it seems to me like that you starting this women's group and you supporting other women and stuff is like a very powerful way to honor, you know, that legacy that you had or that they had with you.
1: Absolutely. And this was something I was thinking about actually not long ago, uh, just randomly. And I never consciously thought about it until many months after the the group was formed and more successful. But yes, I, for many years, for a little over two years now, have really been struggling because I was especially close with my mom and her being gone from my life was a way for me to no longer be accountable. She is what kept me accountable. I very much depended on her. And she was also my role model. You know, I think we, most of us, the first person we call whenever we have something wrong in our lives is often our parents.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I no longer have that. Um, I mean, my father's still alive. Sorry, I stand corrected. Uh, Mm -hmm. I can call him and he's wonderful. I love my dad. Um, But my mom, I, I can't call her anymore like I used to. And sometimes I still pick up the phone and then realize that, I can't call her anymore it, it dawns on me i forget and this group i really think that subconsciously i was i was filling that void that i have been afraid of for so long um i really thrived growing up based on female role models it was a really big deal to me i'm uh, the only girl i have two older brothers uh, didn't have a lot of family around because we were in America and my family was in Israel. And so my mother was my everything. And so once that was gone, I found myself desperately searching for not just role models, but female role models, because that was something that was desperately lacking in my life. And I think that my friend Sarah and I, when we created Women Who Lift Israel, I really think that this was me trying to fill the void that my mom left behind with all these inspirational women. And I, I feel like I lost one role, mo- I lost two role models my mother and my grandmother. And I feel like I gained almost a thousand new role models from this group. And the amount that I learned from the women in the group on a, a daily basis is just something that makes me thankful to have this group every
0: day. Yeah, and the experiences that you have allow you to, um, you know, allow other women to learn from you. I mean, just for example, like you talked about overcoming an eating disorder, you know, I'm sure there are other women in the group that have those types of um, problems and that you're able to, um, you know, give ideas and feedback and all that kind of stuff to help them based on your own um, past experiences.
1: Absolutely. And I think another reason why we have such strength in our group is because it is a female-only community. There are several different very large groups for weightlifting, for strength training in Israel, and they are all simply co-ed groups for every one of the public. And that's wonderful. I'm part of those groups and I actively participate those, in those groups. However, I've heard from many, many women that it's not always comfortable to just ask whatever you want. You know, mm-hmm. women sometimes have embarrassing questions that are legitimate and need answers. Yeah. And so a female only community is the perfect place for that. And so I feel like we've created a group that's really uniquely our own. And especially because I think women get this kind of bad rap of uh, being very competitive with each other and not really helping each other out or putting each other on pedestals. Women are, are often two-faced, catty, you know. I think we get caught up in that sometimes. And it makes me so proud to have a group of hundreds of women who only focus on empowering each other. And I just think that's absolutely incredible
0: yeah when you put that together that's definitely a powerful force that can make some you know some incredible things happen and i i do think personally i think it's awesome that it is focused around you know strength training and fitness and stuff like seeing the barbell behind your head you know that that makes me so happy like i you know i wish that if i could just like snap my fingers about anything about fitness it would be that everybody had a barbell in their hands you know like Everybody was training because I just think that um, it does so much for you physically, mentally, um, just all the way around. And that's another thing I noticed about your story was when you were saying like they were like, oh, you're glowing, you know, um, that it had changed you in other ways. Has strength training, uh, especially lifting, just improved your confidence and mental health, so to say?
1: Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, Along with anorexia came a whole bout of other issues, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-confidence. I mean, no matter how skinny you get, you look in the mirror and think you are an elephant. And there's nothing that anyone can say that will change your mind. Absolutely nothing. And so realizing that I had this, this fire in me and the strength in me was something that really shocked me at first, (laughs) to be honest. And eventually I started growing into it. I I realized that not only is it okay to feel confident, I am deserving of confidence. I think that was my major issue all along. Not necessarily that I didn't feel confident, but that I, I felt as though I didn't deserve to feel confident. And once I finally moved past that and realized I'm amazing, (laughs) just like everybody else, and I found my niche, I found my thing that is my love, weightlifting, I can absolutely say is one of my absolute loves in life. And I think that really was the key for helping me realize that I am deserving of love, deserving of self-esteem, deserving of self-confidence and everything that comes with it.
0: Yeah. So just to play devil's advocate here a little bit, weightlifting, especially, you know, powerlifting, uh, Olympic lifting, those kind of things can be super confident building because the, I mean, the barbell doesn't lie. You're either strong enough to lift the weight that day or you're not. And on those days that you're not, man, it can be, it can be a confidence killer. It can be one of the most frustrating things I've ever experienced because, Today, I might be able to go out here in my garage and deadlift 405, and then Wednesday, like my next deadlift day, I go out there and try it, and it's just not my day, and I just can't do it, even though I just did it three days ago. And, you know, and that can come down to recovery or a sore hamstring or like a whole number of things, but that can literally be one of the most um, <laughs> frustrating and and just take a big shot at your confidence.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is something that makes a fitness journey so unique. A lot of people go into fitness journeys thinking, all right, we're going to ride this high for as long as we can. And they get really excited once they see progress. But I think people often miss the fact that a fitness journey has very significant amounts of ups and downs. That's what makes it a journey. And that's what makes it exciting. Mm -hmm. I think that weightlifting is a very honest sport. I had the privilege of uh, interviewing a powerlifter by the name of the flat, who is amazing um, in my group. And I really liked the way she phrased it, that the barbell does not lie. You can either pick up the weight or you can't, Mm -hmm. just like you said. However, just because you couldn't pick it up today there's nothing stopping you from coming back tomorrow to the barbell and trying again. The barbell will always be there for you. And it's it's an honest, honest item, <laughs> and the most honest item in my entire life.
0: It is. And so,
1: you're right, it, it can definitely kill your confidence, but I think if you find it within yourself to to continue and to return to the barbell and to, to overcome those challenging days, that's where you really see the value in the fitness journey in the end.
0: Yeah. One thing that I think is like people who are competitive, right. That find, uh, lifting and find, uh, just strength training in general, you know, they take to it like crazy. And so like a lot of people are competitive, but they're they are like competitive in business where they're competing against other people. They're competitive in team sports, basketball, baseball, all these different things. But once you get into that strength training or especially like powerlifting or weightlifting, it becomes your competitiveness is you versus you. It's you wanna be better than you were the day before. It's not, you know, it's not the person to your left or right in the gym it's can i lift this weight today and then in six or eight weeks or 12 weeks after my training cycle can i lift more and those people who are competitive if they channel that into weightlifting or strength training really seem to thrive so were you um really competitive person like growing up i we would dance and all that kind of stuff
1: Yes, I think most people who know me would say I'm a little competitive. And by a little, I think I mean very
0: competitive.
1: (laughs) Um, Yes, I've been competing in dance since I was very, very young. Um, And I think that just very innately put uh, a competitive spirit in me. And just from a very, very young age, I've always found myself obsessed with trying to make myself more improved, a better person. And I think when I was younger, it was very much focused on skills. What skills can I acquire? I can do this now. I can do this now. I'm accumulating skills. Mm -hmm. And as I've moved kind of past that and moved more into weightlifting, I'm starting to focus more on wow, I'm developing my mental strength. The amount of mental strength that I have and what I can withstand mentally has increased dramatically. And so I find myself comparing, you know, what I was in in the weightlifting world a month ago to where I am now, and it's such a breath of fresh air to just look at yourself and say, okay, I did this so much better than I did a month ago. I'm going to set another goal. I'm going to look for the next step forward. And you're always just developing a better, better character for yourself. It's such a good feeling.
0: It is. And I just like genuinely wish that more people could feel that. And um, so one thing that I'm curious about, right, is um, females lifting. And so when I say that, like I went back, look through your Instagram page and like, I see you tackling the, you know, very technical, very difficult list. So, uh, you know, your power clinging, your front squatting, back squatting, shoulder press, um, all of, you know, all the stuff that is super hard, but that's not what I commonly see, with women in the gym you know and not saying that this is bad but typically it's doing like curls and shoulder flies and and uh, different things like that do you think that sometimes women can be intimidated by the barbell intimidated by lifting um or you know or is it just like kind of like a lack of you know knowledge thing what what is that
1: That's a really good question. And I think that it comes down to many different things because of course it depends on the woman Mm -hmm. and uh, what they are maybe intimidated by or or, uh, what might be holding them back. I think that it's uh, often a combination of things. I think a lot of women have the misconception that if they lift, they'll get heavy. And I think what they don't realize is that uh, women do not have the necessary hormones in order to really bulk up insanely like men do. And uh, the amount of weight you would have to lift in order to truly get so muscular that you quote unquote look manly is insane. I think that's a very common misconception. Another part is I think lack of education and women being intimidated um, i'm not sure about the us but here for right now gyms are closed however when i did go to a gym i often found that women were afraid to ask questions they were afraid to ask for technique tips they were afraid to ask how to use a machine i myself as a woman have had you know men come up to me and and I think they were just joking but saying certain comments that definitely doesn't make a woman feel comfortable in a gym and so I think it's a few different levels I think on one hand it is you know educating women in the public in that if you lift weights I promise you all you're not going to bulk up like a man Um, another part of it is Simply the intimidation of doing something new that is considered to be male dominated. Uh, That is a very big intimidating step to to move past. And then, to be honest with you, if I may be honest, um, I think that it's also uh, a necessary cooperation between the genders. Mm -hmm. I think that, I don't think that men are ever malicious. I think that oftentimes they're joking. However, I think we do need to be aware of how we make women feel in the gym. I've had guys come up to me and say, are you sure you know what you're, do- what you're doing, with those? And it's very sweet for someone to come up to me and say, um, I want to make sure you're doing the right technique or, um, you know, make sure you don't do this. You could really hurt your neck those are different. But to come up and say, you know, hi, sweetie, are you, do you, are you sure you know what you're doing? Or um, I've had friends who are uh, kickboxers who have had men come up to their practices and, and try to joke around with them. And I think it is a bit of a cooperation between the genders. Um, women need to seek out education to learn how to strength train properly with proper technique. Uh, women also have to Uh, look past the intimidation of trying something new look past the intimidation of putting yourself perhaps in a gym that's only men and I think also there is an aspect of men also have to give women the space to feel comfortable at the gym as well I think that it's very important that we all work together
0: yeah I couldn't uh, I could not agree with you more Uh, and I think so one you know going over each of those topics basically like the thing about getting bulky is the most the women that you see getting bulky are are doing that on purpose you know like they're they are training for some type of show they're training because that's the look that appeals to them so just going in there going into the gym and just hitting some squats some deadlifts adding those type of things to your accessory work is going to make you stronger healthier in the long run and just and it's gonna make your physique look even better and it's not gonna make you like extraordinarily crazy like if you wanted to get to that I mean it takes those women 10 years of lifting to get to that point and then as far as the education thing I you know with that like from my experience men are brought up especially you know uh if you're athletic and play sports in middle school, high school, you're, you know, they get you in the weight room. You're, you know, you're, I was doing deadlifts in my bedroom floor, like 10, 12 years old with my dad, you know, like, so I got that education where, you know, my sister didn't, hasn't had that until now where she's working with a personal trainer, you know, to, to get better at her sports. So I do think that's evolving a little bit. And then, you know, the thing with the gender is, a great topic right and I think probably one that should be talked about more and also you know you said cooperation between the genders and I like the way that you phrase that because so for me you know just one day I saw a lady deadlifting, and she had like some 25 pound plates on each side so they're small and then like she's grabbing the bar and her back's all like hunched over and it's just like uh, yeah but you know this is probably not a good thing on my part but like I just didn't say anything to her because I don't like to, you know, I don't want to intimidate anybody. She's in there. She's got a barbell in her hand and I don't want her to hurt herself. But at the same time, like, I don't want to discourage her from coming either. So that's a very like delicate thing that, you know, I I don't know what the answer is to it, but some of it is probably educating men to ask the questions the way that you frame them because there are creeps. 100% 100% get that, but I, I, I really think that most men in the gym, like, who are are lifters who do it because they love it, like they don't want to see anybody like that lady lifting incorrectly. Like I would have loved to help her. It's just hard to know, you know, what their perspective is and how to frame that the right way.
1: Absolutely. and I, I can completely understand the, the side that you're coming from. I think a lot of men often think this way. and I think also a lot of people think this way, even if they see a, a man doing a uh, wrong technique. I think people are afraid to speak up. Um, a very, very great trainer once told me, if you see something really wrong and detrimental and someone will hurt your, will hurt themselves, speak up. You should speak up. Um, you should definitely find the best way to say it. Um, but I would much rather have someone get frustrated with me for attempting to correct their technique than for them to blow out their knees or for them to pull a back muscle. Um, I would much rather someone be upset with me as a person um, than do technique incorrectly. However, you have a very good point <clears throat> in that it's like, yes, we should correct people's technique. How do we do that? How do we do that in a way that uh, that doesn't, uh, I mean, you're kind of writing a line, especially if it's a stranger, especially if it's someone you don't know, if especially if it's uh, often, let's say a woman lifting and a, a man giving her uh, explanations on what she should do. Um, I think in the end, it comes down to that word cooperation. I mean, uh, the the gyms that I was going to until it closed down for lockdown, part of the reason why I love that specific gym so much is, to be honest, kind of because of the men there. And I know some people might be thinking that's backwards. She is literally the co-founder of Women Who Lifts Israel. She should be excited about a gym that's full of women. And <laughs> like... Don't get me wrong, for every gym that's full of women, I'm very, very proud. However, I really think that it starts with making with with uh, men giving women the space to feel comfortable in a gym. And so I was so happy to have found a gym with m- tons of men that were so cooperative, so helpful, and I think that's the key difference.
0: yeah, so. I don't want you know in the long run like what i want i, d- I don't want to necessarily be in a gym just 100 men and just like i you know you probably don't want to be in a gym 100 women like if we can all coexist and evolve and and learn from each other and you know just build a community aspect um that is like the goal
1: exactly uh, the goal for me and the goal, the vision for me, for women who lift Israel was never to make uh, fitness and health uh, a female only thing. Uh, you know, as much as thinking about a, a female only gym makes me really proud and really happy just because the more women who work out, the happier I am in general. Um, that's not my goal in life. My my goal and my vision for all of this is to make equal space for both men and women in the gym and for us to respect each other, cooperate with each other. We're all on our own unique fitness journeys. Why make it harder than it needs to be?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. So just kind of situation here. So say I get this question a lot. I'm new to the gym. I don't know where to start. What do I do? Um, Or I'm intimidated going any of those things that we just talked about. So, I mean, if they're, is a lady who wants to start in the gym she's she's getting her after a new year's resolution her goals you know what do you suggest to her
1: like someone who's just starting out
0: yeah never been to the gym before doesn't know where to start what kind of advice would you have
1: excellent um the first thing i would say and this might sound really really silly um is just go to the gym and hang out once (laughs) Um, like not even for a workout don't go with it don't even bring workout clothes because for me a really major thing is simply feeling comfortable in the gym no matter what women have to find that men also but I find specifically because I work a lot with women that this is very common in women and so for me a lot of times breaking that intimidation barrier between a woman and the gym has nothing to do with putting her into a specific exercise it has nothing to do with teaching her how to deadlift it has nothing to do with teaching her how to stretch properly it's simply about bringing her into the gym and her telling me that she feels comfortable Women all often as soon as they get into the, into the gym feel anxiety they immediately feel nervous. I myself personally i would step into a gym and i would get so scared that I would go and hide in the corner where all the ellipticals are and so for me it might sound really really silly but to to really work on that like mind body connection um, i think is something that really helps you know, move past intimidation. I think another major thing is taking on a personal trainer if you can, and if you cannot, there are thousands of resources online on how to do correct technique. If you're just starting out, that definitely means you need to be evaluated to see what your baseline is, where you're starting from. A personal trainer can help you with that. And also doing correct technique throughout your fitness journey, I would say is one of the most important things. It's like I said earlier, you know, I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this for anybody else. And so if I'm doing this for me and I'm going to dedicate my energy and my time and my resources into this, I'm going to do it correctly. Correct technique is the very first place to start. And then the last thing I would say, and I would say perhaps the most important thing is to listen, and I think that one often shocks people. Um, what does listening have to do with me going and losing weight? You know, what does listening have to do with me lifting as much as I can? And what I like to tell people is lifting. Lifting is ninety percent listening. And why do I say that? People get so eager, myself included. I've been guilty of this, where I'm like. All I can think about is lifting that next weight. It's literally the only goal th- going through my mind. Nothing else matters. I like can't even get through the day because all I can think about is getting to the gym and crushing that PR. And what I stop, what I um, often forget to do is to take a step back and listen to the professionals around me. Um, part of why I love my group so much is because as the founder and the you know co-founder and co-leader of almost a thousand women, that also means I have the privilege of being surrounded by almost a thousand women with tons of information. And so, I think the biggest thing that people often miss is in their eagerness to get into the gym, their eagerness to start kicking ass, um to start moving past intimidation and nervous feelings. Um, it's often very good to take a step back listen to the advice that you get from supportive people around you and also to listen to uh, correct technique. There's a reason correct technique exists. Uh, Personal records are great. Lifting tons of weight is great. Losing weight is awesome. Looking great is wonderful. But if you don't do correct technique, none of it's worth it.
0: Yeah. And so one thing that I would just add to that is you know how many people set out the goal to go to the gym but then and they make this like elaborate plan on what they're going to do but i don't feel like enough people will spend just time researching like if you want to be more confident the first day you walk into the gym is set a goal like set a goal saying i'm going to watch five youtube videos or i'm going to work watch an hour worth and you know uh join a fitness community online like like yours, and ask for resources, you know, you can ask there behind, you know, I'd say the safety of a keyboard where no one is going to look at you, no one's going to care, you know, and then do that research in the day that you walk in there, you know, the day that you walk in, you'll have an established plan, you know, and that's probably even more important if you are, maybe you can't afford a trainer, maybe you don't want to work with a trainer, any of those things, But having that plan before you go in will make you feel way more confident than you walk in, you grab a dumbbell, you do two or three curls, and then you're like, all I know to do now is get on a treadmill. You know, like that plan will definitely help your confidence.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And uh, this conversation has really come full circle because we started first <laughs> yeah. talking about planning and preparation uh, with meal prep. And I think the exact same uh, concept applies to the gym. Uh, you know, people just get so, you know, pumped up with energy to just go, you know, uh, I'll be good. I'll be fine. I know what I'm doing. You get in there and you kind of, you know, ding around and then you go home. Um, And I think what really separates, you know, a good athlete from a great athlete is their ability to listen. And so for me, you know, lifting and actually lifting weight, for me personally, it's 10% actual work and lifting. It's 90% researching, planning, listening, asking questions, you know, making sure I understand the technique correctly, working on those muscles to make sure that they're able to support the weight that I'm hoping to crush all of those things combined. That's 90% of the actual lift. 10% is only
0: lifting it. Absolutely. So what's your favorite lift?
1: (sighs) My favorite lift. I feel like everyone always says deadlift because you can lift, you know, higher weights, but I, I think my favorite is the power clean. (laughs) power, Which is uh, not common for women. Uh, For some reason, the the power clean is my my strongest lift, I would say.
0: So do you have a goal set for the power clean?
1: Well, so I have an interesting uh, situation right now. I'm actually on disability.
0: (laughs) I almost forgot about that. We've been talking about lifting. I almost forgot about that.
1: Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I talk about lifting as if I do it all the time. But the truth is I've been on disability since May after an injury. Um, I'm on disability for a few more months. So my, my realistic goal considering my injury is that this barbell behind me, this is a 10 kilo junior Olympic barbell. It's not a full, it's not a women's bar, which is 15 kilos. And it's not a full 20 bar. Um, But so my goal right now is to be able to lift this barbell, which is 10 kilos, by the end of 2021. And uh, so I would say that my current squat, my power clean goal is 10 kilos. And I'm hoping to be able to work back up to my personal records, which was close to 50. So...
0: Yeah, so tell us a a little bit about, you know, kind of what happened in in the process that you've been, you know, fighting to to get back.
1: Yeah, so that's a whole story in and of itself and uh, a bit of a tragic story. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, so on my birthday, which is May 1st, um, this past one in 2020, my wonderful boyfriend, uh, and he's really wonderful despite what happened. Uh, He got me a chef knife for my birthday because I used to be a chef. And so it's a very nice, beautiful gift. He gave it to me at like one in the morning, like, oh, it's your birthday. Here's a gift. And I unpack it. And while I'm unpacking it, the knife slips out of my hand. And the knife was so sharp that it cut through the case. It had a case on the blade. It cut through the case and into my right hand and yeah and um, i fully severed my uh, extensor tendon in my right hand middle finger and i also was unfortunately uh the victim of about a month of medical neglect before i finally got surgery for it a full month after it happened um it was very scary because as a weightlifter I mean, I was squatting more than my body weight. I was cleaning, you know, at least 40 kilos, you know, big weights were my thing. And Mm -hmm. suddenly my right hand was quite literally partially paralyzed. Um, 60% of my right hand was paralyzed. I had surgery to reattach the tendon, but because it had been severed for so long, an entire month before I finally got surgery, It had retracted a bit. And so that made the recovery journey more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, I am now allowed to hold a maximum of two kilos (laughs) in my right hand, um, which is very different from what weightlifting used to be for me. Um, However, you know, every tragic story has silver linings and out of, out of this, you know, really frustrating accident that happened, my group Women Who Lift Israel was born. Um, Because after my accident, and I was in a cast, they told me I had a 40% chance that the surgery would be successful. Less than a 50% chance that I'll have two functional hands for the rest of my life. It's a little scary, very scary. Yes, very, very scary. And for me, I decided if I couldn't do weightlifting, I will spread the message. That is what I will do. I can't lift the barbell. Okay, you know, I hate it, but I'll accept it. Um, However, I'm not willing to just sit here and do nothing. That's very not me. So out of this, Women Who Lift Israel was born, which is something I'm so thankful for, has been a really big role in my life. And the other thing for me, is that it forced me to reshape you know the role that weightlifting had in my life as well like i said before i all i ever thought was i can't wait until i do this exercise with five more kilos i can't wait until i hit triple digits on my weight like that was my my daily thought process when it came to weightlifting and after i had my accident and once i was finally cleared to go back into exercising regularly I had to redefine weightlifting for me. You know, as someone who's used to doing a military press of 35, 40 kilos, and now they're telling me I started out with 500 grams, uh, mm-hmm. was how much I was. I know, I, I literally had sugar weighed out in a Ziploc bag.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Um,
1: so, it forced me to redefine weightlifting and I think that was a good thing in the end because it helped me come back down to earth. You know, I think I had gotten really into it and in that I was looking at all these higher weights and you know, I really had my eyes set on on high weights for my goals. And I took a step back. I said, you know, weightlifting for me now it's not gone from my life after this accident. It's simply redefined. It's adapted. My goals used to be to lift tons of weight. Now my goal is to maintain my muscle. My my goal is to, you know, maintain my core, maintain my back muscles so that I can continue supporting, you know, all the things I do in a daily life. And I had to redefine my goals in a way that made them realistic for me. Obviously, I could no longer hold on to those goals of, Oh, I can't wait until I back squat triple digits. I'm so excited. You can't hold on to those goals after such an accident. And I think in a way that uh, really forced me to take a really good look at strength training and its role in my life. And it also helped me understand that strength training will always have a role in my life, no matter what. It's up to me to find a way to make it work.
0: So I just continue to be um, very impressed with your outlook on your circumstances i mean it you know your circumstances have sucked a bunch of times during this journey you know and you and you keep fighting back which you know i like because so many times people fall in love with like weightlifting or powerlifting or crossfit or whatever category they fall into the first time they get hurt and they can't do it anymore, you know, their like identity is tied to that. And then they just crash and burn. Um, But you've just rechanneled it to another way and, you know, found the things that you can do and you're doing them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so I think there needs to be more of that. And I just feel like a lack of a better term, like there's a lot of like, victim type mentality like this happened to me poor me kind of thing and like you're the complete opposite of that you know and I do think like just in general not just health and fitness or anything like that but just as a whole as people we definitely need more of that. more of that
1: I agree and uh, I will admit this is not something that by any means comes naturally to me um, I think a lot of times people very much assume that it does you know, I'm someone who's always smiling, even when I'm angry. And so people just assume like, wow, I, I wish I could just wake up like that. I wish I could wake up the way you do. I wish I could just tackle every day with the same you know vision and goals that you do. People tell me how it's so difficult. Listen, it's difficult for me too. i I spent majority of my life being incredibly negative. I was so negative that people didn't want to be friends with me um and it took a lot of learning to realize that the way my perspective is and you know whether or not i choose to be positive it doesn't just affect me it affects everyone around me once i had that realization it became easier over time would i say it's you know naturally instinctively easy to be positive no I would say positivity is like any other muscle. You have to work on it to make it grow. You have to continually exercise positivity in order to improve at it. And, you know, once you fall behind on working on your positivity, just like any other muscle, it'll start to decay and it'll be more difficult to be positive. And so I try to keep that outlook. I still have days where I'm not positive at all. Um, (laughs) And I just try to remind myself that just like, you know, you have bad days where you can't lift the weight, positivity is the same thing. It's a muscle and it's a muscle that improves over time as you work it. It's also a muscle that has bad days. It's a muscle that has sore days positivity is not something that simply comes naturally it's something that I firmly believe you work and improve over time and in my opinion positivity is probably the most important muscle
0: yeah you don't wake up to sunshine and rainbows every day it just doesn't it doesn't happen like I have super shitty days as well like on my last last podcast I was talking to to a guy who's overcome like a bunch of knee surgeries and stuff And, and I've had like Not to his level, but I've had like similar type things, and you know, I was squatting the other day. I'm squatting 185, just on my way for like a warm up, and you know, I just wasn't capable of doing it because my knee was hurting so bad. And I just like walked in the house, and my, you know, my wife was sitting there having coffee, and like I'd literally just like put my head down on the table, and it's just like, I, I don't know why this happens. Like why? Well, like just whining about it over and over again, you know, and and I hate that. But then I was like, okay, all I got to do, like I got to hit my mobility harder. I got to work on stretching and since then that's what I've been doing. But like there it, naturally, just like my natural reaction is almost always to be lazy and it's almost always to have, you know, that kind of crappy victim, sad mentality. But It's like a constant fight against those things. Like I was just meal prepping before this and there was a show on TV and I was literally like, Oh, I could finish this tomorrow. I could, you know, cook this rice and all this stuff tomorrow. But then it's like, tomorrow's going to come, I'm going to be unprepared and that's going to probably lead to me being undisciplined and stopping at a gas station for donuts. Like, I just need to just to go here and do this and get it done and be successful. But that's not like, that's not my natural thought process. That is a, learned, practiced, developed habit that every day I fail in some way at one of those things. But every day I also succeed more and more.
1: Absolutely. It's all a matter of perspective, really. Um, Generally speaking, you know, I would say most people have this kind of uh, feeling about life. The way I look at it is you know entropy is very real entropy is is the the law of thermodynamics that you know everything is constantly in a state of becoming more disordered or, over time and it also states the fact that we're a lot more drawn to the negative things than we are with for the positive things i think that's a, a natural instinctive way of life and that's especially why working on your positivity muscle so to speak is so important because it isn't something that comes naturally it's something that you really have to work hard in order to get better on there are even some incredible athletes incredible athletes that are not positive at all and really struggle with that and that often is what differentiates a good athlete a great athlete and an excellent athlete in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Like mindset and how you frame things is a major factor in any, you know, any venture that you take, right? And so I want to kind of bring this back to you, right? You've made this like awesome transformation. So what is your like nutrition like? How did that like actually change for you and and lead to such a big success?
1: Sure, so for me, I don't really have a specific diet. Um, I don't see a nutritionist, to be completely honest with you.
0: That's okay.
1: um, however, for me, the most important part is uh, something I call crowding out. Um, for me, crowding out is the more I fill my daily diet with good things, whole fruits and vegetables, lean sources of protein, you know, whole complex carbohydrates, all those kinds of goodies, the less room I have for my diet for crap, for processed foods, for alcohol, for sweets or refined sugars, or very fatty, greasy foods, that doesn't necessarily mean that they never appear in my diet. I just simply use the crowding out method to make sure that the more fruits I'm seeing in my plate, the more vegetables, the more lean proteins, all of those things, obviously the less room there is on my plate for anything else. And so I try mainly to stick to that. Um, I really try to eat intuitively. I try to really listen to my body and listen to what my body needs because I think at the end of the day, um, what really helped me you know, re-engage and uh, make a, a healthier relationship with food in my life is to see food more as fuel and less as a means to an end or a, a solution to an emotion.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that is a great way to think about it. And, you know, a lot of people use a similar thing to the crowding out. It's basically like 80, 20 rule, making sure that 80% of the stuff that you put in your body are just like good, whole, natural, clean foods. And then, you know, that 20% of the time is when, you know, it's your brother's birthday and you want to go out and have a couple beers and a, and a hamburger, you know, just making sure that you are consistently putting those right things in your body and then those things that I don't want to say bad, but quote unquote, less healthy, more calorie dense food. um, Is that 20% where you're just out enjoying yourself and your family and friends and being social kind of deal?
1: Absolutely. And I think the best part of that especially is that it's flexible. Um, The 80 20 rule is not a set in stone things. It's uh, a great uh, you know, start for just everyday life, but there's nothing telling you that, uh, I don't know, let's say you're going for vacation for the weekend. Okay, for, for two days, it can look a little more 60, 40, or 70, 30, and you can go back to 80, 20 when you get back to your own life. There, there's nothing strict about it. It's not like those strict diets saying, you can't eat this. You can't eat that. Here's a long list of what you can't eat. Here's a short list of what you can eat. And good luck. Um, no, it's it's finding what works for you. It's finding what works with specifically what you're going through that day, and it's also finding a way to make it work long term. Uh, if you have a, I hate to use the word diet, but I guess if you if you have like a, a daily diet that is fluctuant based on, you know, how you're able to fit it around your life, I think it's much more able to sustain it long term, as opposed to a very rigid diet, with very rigid rules that don't ever change, no matter what's going on, you know, externally. Um, I think the key part is the difference between a you know, diet and a lifestyle. And the major thing is finding what works for you that you're able to sustain for very long periods of time. And so for me, that was crowding out. Uh, For other people, it can be the 80-20 rule, which is very similar. Um, I personally like it because uh, I'm less of a calorie counter, I'm less of a macronutrient counter. I'm a lot more of a um, making sure I get all the vitamins and minerals that I need from good, healthy sources.
0: I'm with you. I love it. I think it's good advice. So uh, last question that I ask everybody, if you could give the listeners one simple tip to help them along their journey, uh, what would that be?
1: Sure. So my biggest tip, and it has nothing to do with doing something physical with your body, it has nothing to do with specifically putting any kind of food in your mouth. Um, my recommendation to people is to find the network that is around you and to listen to them. Something that I absolutely never, ever really expected um, was when our group Women Who Lift Israel really got off the ground, the amount of resources I would eventually have. I think people often don't realize the resources that are around them. I'm not talking about just Instagram or YouTube or all of those things, but you'd be amazed at the amount of valuable information from the people around you if you simply take the time to ask the right questions and to listen. And as someone who has had the honor of interviewing, you know, over 20 different professional female athletes and specialists, something I learned is that my, My biggest role in this group, Women Who Lift Israel, is simply to listen. In listening through all the interviews I've done, I've learned far more than I ever would have alone, ever. And I think that that has been the most valuable part for me. And I would hate for anybody else to miss out on that. I think that tapping into the resources around you is the best way to get that edge and it's also a great way to simply stay accountable. Find people that are in your circle, learn from each other, and find a way. Find a way to move forward together.
0: Awesome! Great advice. Great advice. Uh, so, let the listeners know where they can find you: Instagram, uh, the uh, Facebook community. If you're a female, just let them know.
1: Absolutely. So for any women out there who are interested in joining, you don't have to live in Israel. You just have to be you know, passionate about strength training and you have to be a woman, of course. Our Facebook group is called Women Who Lift-Israel. You can also find me on Facebook. It's Ta underscore Mar underscore Ush. It's my nickname, Tamarush. Um, other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a great, great discussion. And I'm really, really looking forward to all your future podcasts.
0: Awesome. Thank you for being on the show. Make sure uh, you check tomorrow out on Instagram. I did uh, check that out. And it is basically just fitness, food, and dogs, which are like my, that, that's like my absolute favorite thing. So uh, I'm definitely following along to to see where your journey goes. And, and uh, I'm very excited to see that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm very excited to follow you as well. (laughs) I'm so excited to have another friend from from originally the Midwest. So it's wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) All right, folks, that is it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hungry for Success podcast. Uh, Make sure that you guys go and check out the Hungry for Success Facebook community. Um, We are trying to do a similar thing and build up people and help with accountability, a little bit of knowledge, education, the whole nine yards. So make sure you go hit that up. And uh, with that said, we will see you next week. Stay hungry. Chase your goals.